Podcast. Um, before we continue, PJ Bacon, thank you for joining us. What the fuck? Avita Zane, I don't know what you have that could possibly be better to be do better than, than this. this. Take us on the road. Yeah. Well, whip, Take us to work. Whip us out on your phone, King. Bring us with you, Chief. While you're doing doctor stuff, while you're cutting people hell, up, just fucking have, this, yeah. have that stream on the side. Um, you make excellent points, and I'm not going to refute them because we don't have time. <laughs> nor, nor do I have the patience. <laughs> But I'm gonna. This is the last thing I'm gonna say about the Dark Knight, and this is a question, and I'm gonna pose it. All right, see you in a sec, SJR. And I'm gonna pose it. BRB five minutes. <laughs> um, I'm gonna pose it. It's not Dorothy. We haven't hit 50 viewers yet. Not pepperoni nips until we hit 50 viewers, and it doesn't got, look like we're gonna. We got so. time. That's that's all you get. Hmm. Is so Heath Ledger. Okay. Great, the, great performance. Great performance. He won the Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. Do you think... Do you think... That if he hadn't passed away... He would still have won the Oscar? Um, you know what? Maybe. I don't know who else was nominated that year. But the performance is... It's... it's I mean, it's it's top tier. He's, he's, he's the best part of the movie. And to go back to the, to the, uh, the take that you were sending earlier... I think that the movie does really, the greatness of the movie, or the way that the movie is perceived as great, does really hinge on his performance. And if, his, if you take his performance away, then this movie is like very, very, very bleh. I think some of the stuff that they try to do with the idea of Batman being a symbol and the person, Bruce Wayne, not mattering as much, I think that's all super interesting. And I think that they could have done more with that. Maybe mm-hmm. not so much in this movie, but in the next movie, which will get to um i think all of that is super interesting but i just think that this movie is like it just a little bit kind of not as great as we all agreed on it being Mm -hmm. i guess there was there was sort of a hype right it was like oh before it even came out heath died yeah right and everyone's like oh shit shit, we gotta see and i mean and he's 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 great right he Mm -hmm. does he has a line i'm an agent of chaos and that's all that his i said chaos funny um that's all (laughs) chaos 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 um, but that's all that he is, right? That's his entire performance is just pure chaos. He's right. just he's just there to throw a wrench into all of the plants, into everyone's plants, and he doesn't give a fuck. He's just double middle fingers up to everyone, whether it be the politicians, the cops, the other criminals, Batman, everyone. Like he's just there to be an agent of chaos and shake things up and fuck things up. Right. And if he's not there, then you don't have a movie, really. That's true. Like you still have the Batman being a symbol part, which could be cool. But if you take him out, then, like, what is Batman being a symbol against? Just mobsters? That's true. So that's the Dark Knight. That is the Dark Knight. Where is it on your list? It's number four. This is going to hurt. I know it is. I know what's coming. I peaked that list. Jeez. It's number six on my list. That's not bad. That's, <laughs> that's way better. <laughs> yeah. Way better than I was expecting. I think just keeping it out of the top five is, is still... I, that's can yeah that's yeah uh, you're you're rattling enough cages yeah so maybe that's know. why people left because I was talking shit about the Dark Knight <laughs> I hope not I, really, I don't know I really hope not I don't know yeah but yes I agree every time I'm watching it the high it's like I'm always just waiting for Heath to be back on screen yeah exactly you don't care about any of the other scenes can you remember any of the other scenes besides Heath <laughs> you know when he's when he's clapping and <laughs> doing the dog thing oh hell yeah dog. Heath yeah wow. That fucking improv is sick. All right, great. We got to move on. Very excited about this next one. Mmm. Nolan follows up the Dark Knight. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta check this. With Inception. And this is when Mans was really on top of the on top of the world. He was and on he top could, of the world. He could do no wrong. You can do no wrong. Studios are writing him blank checks. Make whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. So he writes this film, Inception, which I would argue, in addition to The Dark Knight, is probably his most popular film. Yeah, they're people, like 1A, 1B. Right. People yeah. meme about it a lot. They're like, Inception. You know? <laughs> it's like anytime they... What somebody was that? Goes, what was that? Inception. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> but, um... Okay, uh, so this film is starring Leo DiCaprio, the one and only time he worked with Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um... People, a quick tangent, people people love Leo. I love right? Leo. People love Leo. I get it. 
He's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's Hollywood's pretty boy. He probably has a very nice penis. I understand. That's rad. Good for you, Leo. Congratulations. What? You're, you're Hollywood's pretty boy. He's That's also a good actor. Sad. He's a... Okay. <laughs> this brings me... Eric. No, I don't hate him, Eric. I don't hate Leo. I don't hate Leo. I think Leo's very good. I think the best performance Leo has ever given us was when he played against his type in Django. Mm -hmm. I think that was amazing. Django. Um, Django! I also think he was very good in The Revenant, which he won. Okay. For. He won the Oscar he for that. He fought a bear. He did. Yeah, it was a real bear. Played yeah. by Andy Serkis. Yeah. <laughs> he learned how to fight bears. Pretty sick. Um, Not too bad. Leo, the reason I bring this up is because the way Leo picks his projects is very uh, interesting to mm -hmm. me. He's very, it seems like once he sort of matured into the late 2000s, he picked a lot of different kind of uh, strange films. And I love that he played a supporting character role in Django. I think that's the most impressive acting he's ever done because, like I said, he played against type mm -hmm. in that. He played a villain. He never plays a villain. He's always the leading man, the hero, yeah. whatever. Um, that doesn't really have anything to do with Inception. Uh, <laughs> he plays the hero in Inception. Um... This film, I think, is probably, or at least it was at the time, the most mind-fuckery mm -hmm. Nolan film to ever come out. Yeah. Right? It's all about entering a person's dream and using that sort of idea, that concept, as a heist movie. You enter yeah. someone's dream and you steal something. Great concept. Great concept. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole plot of the film is, no, actually, we need to go within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. What? To plant an idea. To oppo heist. Inception. Definition. The beginning of something. Mm. The inception of something. The, mm. the start of something. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole premise of the movie. I think people, people love this film. I, I feel like probably... I think say, Django was SJR. I think Django was his only villain. Yes, I believe you're right, SJR. What happened to the shower? If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, are you are you uh, commenting from within the shower? Your phone in a in a plastic baggie. Pretty sick of you. Oh, there. Oh, I got a hot takes. Uh, yes, you're right. I'm pretty sure it is his only villain character. Um, I think that Inception has the best slash most exciting scene. Okay. That Christopher Nolan has ever made in it. Should I guess? Yeah, which guess. One you're talking about. Yes, you're probably gonna guess. Uh, his most exciting scene, his best scene. It's got to be within one of the dreams. Mm -hmm. It's got to be the hotel one. Nailed it. Really? Nailed it. Wow. The 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 hotel hallway fight, which not even Leo gets. They, he gives it to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Jason Joseph Levitt. <laughs> Like Jason Jason Joseph Lovitz gets this amazing scene mm -hmm. where what's happening above him in the dream is that Yusuf is in a van mm -hmm. and the van topples down a hill. And so the gravity of the dream in the hotel gets altered and so the hotel completely spins. So Joseph Joseph Lovitz Jason Joseph jo Johnny Joseph Lovitz yeah. is fighting this projection, this henchman Yes, I agree with you, Chris. I think it's it's probably the most the, the most exciting scene Joseph Joseph has ever done or been in. Jason Joseph, jo jo Johnny J Jason Joseph Levitz, Jimmy Jimmy James, J Jimmy, Jimmy James, Johnny Levitz, Jimmy Dean's Levitz. <laughs> he so what they did is to film that scene. I'm obsessed with this scene, by the way. I think it's the best scene Christopher Nolan's ever shot, and you know it's all practical. You know, he stole it. We did. No, we did. Oh, he, he did. stole it. He stole, he stole it. it. I was he like, we've never shot anything like that. Um, Quan, if you're still in the chat, can you drop in the name of the anime film? Uh, that Christopher Nolan stole that hallway scene from. Please oh, and thank shit. you. Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean. Yes, that's Jimmy not Dane. the movie though. E. Right. That's it's not the name of the anime film. <laughs> close. Good guess. Very close. Yeah. He. They built. They built this hallway. Mm -hmm. This hotel hallway, and they put it on this this mechanism that spun it. So you have Joseph Joseph Levitz, and this stuntman yeah. fighting. In this rotating hallway, it's all practical effects, mm -hmm. and Hans Zimmer does this amazing score set to it, mm -hmm. and they're fighting, and they're falling against the walls, and they're jumping on the ceiling yeah. and the floor, and they're falling yeah. through doors, and they're falling on beds, and all this shit. And I just, I think that is the highlight of the film. I read a Reddit comment 
recently because after I rewatched it this week, I was like, I wonder what did people think of Inception back in 2010? Yeah. And um, what did people think of Inception back in 2010? Now they I loved now, it. Now I'm forgetting the the, the Reddit comment. Reddit comment. Oh, here we go. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. Um, he said this Reddit comment was like that. Jo- or she. Or she. That Joseph Johnny Levitt's scene was like Joseph Joseph had this hallway fight and he kills the henchman and the whole audience started applauding. And I was wow. like, hell yeah, Christopher. Let's go. Let's go, Nolskis. Good on you. Inception. Yes. What a movie. Great concept, right? We've already gotten that. I have never fully understood how I personally feel about this movie. Um, I think when it first came out in 2010, and I first saw it, and I left the theater, I was like, holy shit, that is the biggest mindfuck of a movie I have ever seen. What happens at the end? I think everyone who's in the chat, I would assume most people, if not everyone, has seen Inception, so I think we can get into spoilers. Is it a dream? Is it reality? What the hell is happening? Does the thing topple over? What's the matter for, for that? What's going on over here? And I was totally in that. I was, I was totally caught up in the, in the, in the, in the swell of, of trying to figure out, was that a dream at the end or was that real life? What is happening with Leo DiCaprio? And I was so hung up on that and I spent so much time scouring the internet, reading random threads and articles and think pieces and whatnot. And I lost so much time of my life to reading about Inception. And I rewatched it and I watched it over and over again, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get clues, trying to put the pieces to the puzzle together. And I never got there. And then I got to the point where I thought, you know what? Fuck you, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> You don't know what's going on at the end of that movie, and you don't even care about your audience enough to tell us what's going on. I thought he was a total hack. I thought it was bullshit what he did. I thought it was rude. I thought it was unprofessional, frankly. And I, 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 was, so, I was so angry that I had spent so much of my time trying to figure out something that I then realized the director himself didn't know. I didn't watch the movie for a while. <laughs> A couple of years, I sat with these thoughts. I didn't care for it. I hated it. I was, you know, Inception's the worst piece of shit crap movie I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. I watched it a couple months ago, and I realized, I finally come to the realization, that it is a good movie. It's a great, high-concept, heady, blockbuster film, spectacle, all that good stuff. It's got great set pieces, a lot of really good practical effects. The story is, is, is pretty good. The characters suck, which is... Something that I think with some of these next Christopher Nolan movies we can get more into, that he's abysmal at writing characters or anything that replicates human emotion. So it doesn't have any of that, but it has a lot of the good stuff. And then I realize at the end, it should be reality. It needs to be reality for this movie to work. Hmm. And I say that not because we don't need the mindfuck of what's actually happening to you know go on... Twitter and Reddit and everything and, you know, write what we think may have happened. It's because this, your audience has spent two, two hours and 30 minutes with this dude and with this dude's story. And he deserves a happy ending. Movies deserve happy endings. We go to movies for happy endings. We need that. They're an escape from reality. Ah! Ah! So it needs to be that he is in real life in that ending scene. Mm-hmm. And if you just let the thing topple over so we know that he's in real life, that's when we can walk away and we can clap and applause and applaud at the end of the movie and say, good for you, Christopher Nolan. Good for you, Leo DiCaprio. That was really cool. I'm really happy that that guy now gets to spend the rest of his life with his kids. And the fact that he did that kind of brings this movie down a couple of pegs from where I think it could be. That and the sound mixing is awful. Interesting. Very well said. Very well said. I understand. I understand your point. Counterpoint? Counterpoint. I think that it's very clear that he's still dreaming. Why do you say that? I think think it's very intentional upon rewatch. No one's not doing this shit accidentally. Mm -hmm. Everything he does is on purpose. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to note that scene when he first meets Yusuf Mm -hmm. and tries the sedative... Mm-hmm. That he spins the top and it falls over and he never sees what happens. Mm-hmm. 
And I think when you pay attention to what Nolan's doing with the Marion Cotillard wife character of the film, mm -hmm. where she's like, how do you know what reality is? All these anonymous yeah. people chasing you, uh, wandering around the globe, all this shit. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that it's got such a nice bow at the end. They get off the plane, and for some reason this businessman can make a phone call and erase someone from being prosecuted for murder. Mm -hmm. And it's just just like that. Mm -hmm. Like nothing. I think it's very... And it's just... It's almost... It is, for lack of a better word, the ending is kind of like a dream sequence. He gets mm -hmm. off the plane. All the characters are there. They, like, nod at him. Yeah. Well done. We did the job. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Caine greets him. He goes home to his family. He finally sees his kids. He spins the top. You know, like, the most famous scene from the movie, the ending... Mm -hmm. Well, I remember when I saw it in theaters, the audience groaned yeah. when when it cut to black. When you don't see the the, the top fall, the, the oh fall come on, come on, on. <laughs> you don't see it fall or not. And I think it's very intentionally done that way because the fact is that he is still dreaming, but he doesn't care. He's made peace mm -hmm. with his dead wife. Mm -hmm. He's made peace with his dead wife. That scene with Marion Cotillard where they're in limbo and he says, and, and this is the cathartic moment for him. It's funny because the whole point of the mark with him trying to incept the information into Killian Murphy's mind is that, you know, it's catharsis, right? He talks about catharsis. Mm -hmm. The stronger the trauma, the stronger the catharsis. Mm -hmm. That's his cathartic moment with Marion Cotillard. So he deals with his own tragedy at the end there, but the truth is, he's dealt with that, and all he wants to do is get back to his children, that it could be reality. And because it could be reality, that's enough. He doesn't, he doesn't stand, that's the whole point of the ending. But isn't that sad? It, it is absolutely sad, but, but the ending of Memento is sad, the ending of Prestige is sad. I think that's the whole, that's the whole and that's what makes Cobb's character interesting, is that... This guy who's so obsessed with ensuring that he's living in his own reality, he's decided that one way or another, he's gotten what he wants. He's finally laid his wife to rest. He's finally made it home. He finally has his children that he doesn't care. And the reason he doesn't care is because if he hasn't gotten that, he's much happier living in a fantasy than he is dealing with knowing that he hasn't gotten what he wants yet. Alright, just to quickly counter that, if he is happy with that, does he not care that his real-life kids are still at home with no parents, and they're just fucking orphans? I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Maybe! So then, like, what's the point of doing all of that if... If you're... If, you're, if your kids are still fucked over at the end of the day? Because you know, it's... You go through all that he... effort, you go into four... You go into four different dreams... To get to your kids, and it, it, I mean, are you saying that he just doesn't care about the, no, I the think, kids? No, I think no, no. Does he care more he, about putting his dead wife to rest? He, is he a bad father? I mean, maybe. Is that? I mean, sure. Do you, you think, think no one has daddy issues? <laughs> I feel like he does. I feel like there's a through line of isn't bad it? daddies in the, in the in the movie. Three cats movies. in a trench coat. Sean Patrick says, "Isn't that just Shutter Island?" No. That's an interesting point. Um. And I think that maybe Leo chose this role because it's similar. If you look at the role of Teddy in Shutter Island compared to Cobb mm -hmm. in Inception, I think there is... A there, are some there are some similarities. There's a robust similarity between those characters. And that's why I don't think that Leo's work in Inception or Shutter Island is particularly his best work. I think it's very safe for him. And I think that's why he chose those films, which is why the subsequent films that he's made since, like Django and Revenant, are way more interesting, because it plays far more against him. But yes, you're right. There, there is a correlation between the type of character with that. Um, let's see, what is Chris saying here? Kids. Oh, uh, yeah. like those are the only kids he'll ever catch up. But, but, but to, yes, but, yeah. Chris, Chris, yeah. you, 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 you. Those you, are the you, only kids that he has to live with. You sort of are getting to my point, and this is what I was going to say to what you were saying, Rev, mm -hmm. is that... It's not that he doesn't care, it's that it's, he's choosing to believe that it's reality. He's choosing to void himself of his doubts, 
You know, it's mm-hmm. not that he's aware that it's not real. It's that he's choosing to believe it's real. And if he's choosing to believe it's real, then they are his real kids. That scene with the top is for the audience. It's 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 a typical but Shakespearean don't, don't tragedy. We, don't we as an audience, after all we've been through, deserve to see that happy ending? No. Is that not what Hollywood is for? No, 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 no. No. How bad is the sound in this movie, honestly? It is. Um, I feel like, dude... Uh, the music is from, just like... Boom. From here from here on, whoever is doing his sound mixing needs to be fired and banned from Hollywood and ever working again. We're. I don't want to interrupt you. We're up. We're at our highest viewer count right now. We're up to 33. Oh, let's go. What's what up? up? What's up, young kings and queens? Up, homies? And all people in between? Let's Welcome. Welcome. An, an hour and a half in. We're an hour and a half in. We got 33 people we got here. 33 people. 17 more. You get some pepperons. Yeah. Let's get 17 more people in here. How are uh, we on? Oh, shit. I'm kind of close to showing Nip for 100 amps. Are we really? Pretty. Yeah. That's pretty. Oh, we're at ninety-five amps, dude. Oh no. Pretty sick. Five more amps. Rat's got to show some pep at home. That's that's great because I got a carpet underneath. I don't here. know why I said that. Uh oh. And Ser- Sergio's just like, oh, it's Uh-oh, lemon it's time. On. It's, it's lemon, lemon time, time, baby. I don't know what lemon time is. I don't but... know, but it's lemon time. Uh, and there's, yeah, the, there's five. the five. <laughs> Let's see some nip, chief. All right. Oh, you're go. going under. We're going. under. I was gonna go from top. We're gonna yeah, go. Well, no, I don't want to stretch out my shirt. All right, that's fair. Oh fuck it. Can I nip time? Can yeah, touch it. Pretty sick, huh? There it is. Thanks for the thanks for that, Chris. Thanks, thanks, Chris, for pushing us, Woo! pushing us over. Nips, let's baby. Go. Oh, 37 peeps oh, are in shit. now. Oh shit! Uh oh, let's get this guy. Let's get to oh, see his shit. nips. You want to see some Italian pepper? Huh? Yeah, we got. Uh, right, we got how close. many movies left before before <laughs> this over? Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. I've been working hard on my nips. Um, I've been doing some some nipper sizes. I think we're in. I think we got three or four left. Yeah. I think it might be four. Um, okay, we we have been talking so about Inception a, a lot. Yeah, we have so, been talking. It's, so it's been a good discussion. It has. Do you have anything more to say on no, Inception? No, no, no. I think that was great. I think your points are excellent. I think your points are excellent. Thank you. I how about that? Was how a very how health, about that? Healthy, healthy discussion. Dude, pretty sick. Dab it yeah. up, King. Okay. Pretty, pretty, pretty sick of us. Let's go. So this brings us to his follow-up to well, Inception. Yeah, we got to go rankings. I don't think we put oh! on our rankings. Go yet. ahead. Uh, Inception for me, number five. Could have been much nice. higher. Could have been top three. Um, I think if you solve that ending problem, you have a beautiful movie. Um, and the sound, of course. I'm content yeah. with top five. Okay. Where you got it? Number two. Nice. Right so behind. So you got your one, two, and three. Yes. You got Memento, Inception. Actually, you have one, two, three, four. Memento, Inception, Prestige, The Dark Knight. Awesome. That's what I got. Those are the first four. I've got, I've got four through seven. Currently. Love it. Four Memento, five Inception, six Dark Knight, and seven Batman Begins. Chris, thank you. Another 25 amps. Thank you, Chris. Chris. Pretty sick of you, King. Damn, dude. Fairly rad. Fairly gnar. Quite gnar. Pretty sick. Okay. Let's go. This brings us to the finale of his Batman trilogy. The Dark Knight Rises. This is, I think... The first questionably... E, it's and... two. Huh? E is asking uh, where Inception is on your... Oh, sorry, E. Okay, E. So, Raph's got it at number five out of ten. It's number two on mine. So, it's much higher on mine than it is on Raph's. I love Inception. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Hell yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Yes. This is, I think... I remember going to see this in theaters. This is the first Nolan movie I ever saw that I was disappointed by. I was disappointed by this. And this brings us back to what you were saying, Mono, about uh, Heath Ledger passing away and how that fucks up the entire trilogy. Yes. This movie is so clearly a fucking mop job trying to figure out how to end this whole story with Heath no longer being with us. It is so clear. You watch that movie with that in mind. It's so obvious because this movie is essentially just a direct sequel to Batman Begins. Obviously, you have all the Harvey Dent shit that carries over from Dark Knight. That's important. Mm-hmm. But there's no mention of the Joker. None whatsoever. There, there's no... And, and, and all the shit that happened. There's And no character mentions him. Not once. And it's bizarre to me because Which, he's he's so integral to what happens to Harvey Dent. Yeah. It's... I mean, you can't make 
you can't make a movie that follows up another movie and not mention the biggest part of the movie that you're following. Right. You gotta you gotta mention it. All we need is a throwaway line of someone. It could be a random character. It could be you throw the two of us in the movie, just a random scene, and we're like, hey, isn't it really weird that that clown dude just like caused a bunch of like crazy shit to happen and then just dipped from Gotham? And that's it. We know what happened to him. We know that he's no longer there. We know that he was responsible for everything that happened in the previous movie because we all fucking saw the previous movie. We can't just ignore that all of that happened. Right. It doesn't make any sense. You're absolutely right. And Chris, you're saying in the comments, I agree with you completely. That is precisely the reason Nolan didn't do it. He's actually been on record saying that out of respect to Heath and out of respect mm -hmm. to his family and out of respect to the character, they weren't even going to mention him. Which I think is more disrespectful. In The Dark Knight Rises. In, in my I, honest opinion. I agree. I think if you want to honor this man's legacy, the last character he ever plays... Although there's uh, not Mr. Mangorium's Wonder Emporium. What's that movie? The, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. <laughs> that was... That's not a real movie. It's a real movie! The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. That That's was, not real. That, Heath was in the middle of filming that. Mm -hmm. That's technically his last performance. And they restructured the whole movie and they had Jude Law, Johnny Depp, and Colin Farrell... Play the character, Englishmen. all Englishmen play the character along with Heath. That's true, and then they all donated the proceeds from the film to his family, which well, is really nice. very nice. Um, this trilogy, the Joker was going to. I'm sorry, you will never convince me that the Joker wasn't going to be in this movie. Go, a well, wasn't going to be in this movie, and A wasn't going to be just the primary antagonist again. The thing, the thing with this trilogy is that when when Christopher Nolan first approached w, WB or Warner Bros. whatever or when they first approached him, and he pitched his Batman movie. He pitched it as a trilogy. He knew exactly what he was going to do. So, yeah, consult those words. He knew exactly what he wanted to do with the entire trilogy as a whole. And that included, at the time, we can assume, as part of his pitch, that the Joker character was going to be in both The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And the very unfortunate passing just threw a total wrench into his plan and he didn't pivot correctly like there's a way no. to honor a very untimely and tragic death in your movie and also make something that's good right and i don't know if i'm being too critical by saying that no i don't think you are at all i think it's very clear to anyone who understands structure or storytelling, particularly storytelling in a trilogy, mm -hmm. it's so obvious that he was like, fuck, I can't use the integral parts of The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make this movie as direct of a sequel to the first one mm -hmm. that didn't have Heath in it as I can. Because it is. It's so much of a direct sequel to the first one more than it is a sequel to The Dark Knight. Because you have the whole League of Shadows shit. You have the whole Ra's al Ghul, Talia al Ghul shit. Yeah. You have Bane being a part of the League of Shadows shit. No mention of the Joker at all. It's just, it's so very clear. There's a lot, and I, I know it sounds like we're both ragging on the film, because there's a lot not to like about I the am. film. You dislike it way more than I do. I hate it. Yes. Um, I rewatched it this week. There's There are a lot of parts of it that I like. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parts of it that don't work. I think this, and in addition to it, the film that we're going to talk about after this, mm -hmm. suffer the most from his third acts falling flat. Mm -hmm. This movie is a structural fucking nightmare. <laughs> it, it, it literally, it is so incoherent, and everything happens so quickly, it kind of reminds me of The Rise of Skywalker. The pacing in this is absolutely abysmal. Oh my god, it's, it's ridiculous. It's um, egregious, if you will. And I, I'm not going to steal your thunder, because I, I want you to talk about this, and you have this in your letterbox review. Yeah, I got my notes uh, up right it's, now. It's an eight-year thing. Yeah. Talk about your eight-year gripe. Okay, with this well, film. so this movie takes place eight years, eight and a half years after the events of The mm -hmm. Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And Batman totally disappears after all the shit goes down with Harvey Dent. Right. Bruce Wayne also disappears after all the shit that went down. Batman and Bruce Wayne both reappear on the same night eight years later, and not a single person in Gotham thinks, hmm, maybe they're the same fucking dude. Hmm. Not a one. Hmm. Not a single soul. You're telling me that is strange. There's this entire city is full of complete dum dums who don't realize that these two huge figures both happen to come back out after an eight year fucking sabbatical on the same night. Not a one. Not a one person. 
Not a single person. Not Commissioner Gordon. Not the fucking lead detective in, in the fucking Gotham PD. He should be fired if he can't put two and two together for that. That's bullshit. And that's not where my where my list of, of grievances with this movie ends. I got more. Let's got hear them. Let's hear them. You want to hear all of them? Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear your grievances. Okay. Well, Bane is a is not a compelling villain whatsoever. Okay. He 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 does little to nothing to antagonize Batman in this movie. He's completely nonsensical. Tom Hardy's performance is weird and absurd in all of the wrong ways, and it just none of it works. Putting Tom Hardy behind a mask. For the entire movie makes absolutely no sense, with the exception of one quick shot where we see him in the fucking in the thing. This goes back to your your audio issues with Inception. Clearly, oh. clearly, and this happens with his later films too. There's a yeah. lot of audio mixing. It's issues. from it's from Inception on that the audio is just awful, and part of it is you can tell that I think I think you mentioned this when we talked about it before. Um, he he clearly voice did a voiceover for for everything afterwards, and you can hear it, and you can tell that like what he's saying doesn't fully match up with the motions and like body movements that he's making on screen and it makes for a very awkward viewing experience. It does, absolutely. Absolutely. You're also totally Batman right. is in this hole in the middle of the Middle East <coughs> and he finally gets out of it and then he just appears in Gotham. How did he get there? Did he have cell service? Did someone know to pick him up? Was there a private plane waiting for him? How does that happen? Also, to go back to the eight years thing, right? Batman and Bruce Wayne then go away after they both come back and they're gone for like two weeks or a couple of months or whatever. And then they both come back to Gotham on the same day after being away for a couple of weeks. And no one notices. Hmm. Christopher... And the thing about The Dark Knight is that Christopher Nolan apparently respects his audience in The Dark Knight, which is part of why people like it so much. There, there's a respectability uh, from filmmaker to, to audience member, which is always very important to build rapport. He has no respect for his audience in, in The Dark Knight Rises. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. He does not care what we know, what we might know, what information we're bringing to the, to the movie and how, we, and how that affects how we watch it. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care what you know, what you think, or, or what your two cents are. He's just making his money, he's collecting his paycheck, and he's going to go make the next fucking movie. Well said. Thanks. Well said. This film... Thanks, Chris. Thank, thank you for this nightmare, Christopher. Um, even if... And this is me throwing him a bone. Throw a bone. Even if... The circumstances were different. Mm -hmm. And Heath hadn't died. And he had more time to make it. And more time to write it. And more time to storyboard it. And more time to shoot it. And structure it. It was never, ever, ever going to be as good as The Dark Knight. Ever. It doesn't matter. It just never was. I'm sorry. It never was. Never and will be. Always has been. Never have been dead. <laughs> you want to <He>, <laughs> You want to know one? <laughs> never have been, cuz. You, it, it... Tom Hardy's Bane is so difficult... To both like and dislike. Because I love Tom Hardy. The issue is the guy's a great actor. And I think the best performance he's ever given actually was in The Revenant with Leo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. You're covering the man's face. This is moneymaker. It's the moneymaker, baby. Anybody who understands anything about acting, about film, you cover an actor's face, you hire anybody. Tom Hardy's a big You're guy. a big guy. For you. <laughs> Thanks, there, I share. Here you go. Here we go. Thanks. Um, Hope that shower was good. <laughs> he can't ever live up to Heath Ledger's Joker. Never. Ever. It doesn't matter how well you write him. It doesn't matter who the fucking character is. It's doesn't not. Doesn't matter who the actor is. It's just not. It's just not gonna happen. So when the entire crux of the film relies on this antagonist pushing Bruce to his limits in a way that nobody ever has before, Except even though... the other guy who just pushed him to his limits right. more so than Bane is. Right. 16 till nip. Yes, you're right, SJR. I don't know if we're going to hit it. We might we'll hit play. it. Tell your friends. Get more folks in here. Get more folks in the chat. Let's keep it going. 
I think Tom Hardy does the best job he can. I think the biggest issue with the character is the fact that you can't really see him emoting. You got the eyes, sure. And like we were talking about with Killian Murphy, the eyes are the money for the most part. But you need, you need to see nose. You need to see mouth. You need to see cheek, so to speak. You got you gotta you have cheek? it, so to speak. You gotta have that. And the abysmal ADR audio mixing of Tom Hardy in post-production over his scenes is like you said, Raph, it's so obvious and it really pulls you out of the movie. And these days when you watch it on like HBO Max or at home, it's not as bad. But when you were in the theater, ooh, when you were in the theater watching that fucking thing, you have, you have the audio from the scene happening from this speaker here on the left in IMAX. And then you got Tom Hardy's voice coming from the right. What's the matter for that? What's the matter for you? What that are you doing? Sense. It just it's very whack. Um the film <laughs> The film also it very clearly suffers from just such an obvious twist. Marion anybody who knows anything about Batman mythos, Marion Cotillard, ha, surprise surprise is Raz Al Ghul's daughter, Talia Al Ghul. Wow. What? Huge huge crux in the whole Raz Al Ghul no story. Way. Wow, nobody saw this shit coming. Wow. Incredible, whatever. Um and I just, you know, I just, I think that there's too much going on in this film. And another big gripe I have with it is that you have this end of the world scenario. And this is a big issue I have with just comic book movies in general. Um, <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, SJR, you bring up Anne Hathaway. We actually haven't talked about Anne Hathaway a lot. No, no, no. She's, I think she's great as Catwoman. She, mm -hmm. She's one of the better parts of the film. I think mm -hmm. her performance is very unlike anything she'd done prior. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she's a highlight. I think she plays the character very, very well. Very, very well. Agreed. Um, yes, she was phenomenal. She was very good. Thanks. Um, thank you, SJR. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, you have this end of the world scenario. It's not end of the world. It's end of the city. It's big time bomb the city. The best Batman stories are when it's personal, right? When it's yeah. small scale, personal. Mm -hmm. It, it's it sure, you know, Batman begins, it's like, oh, okay, the League of Shadows is trying to destroy Gotham. Okay, they're trying to blow up the city. It's the same thing as Dark Knight Rises. But it's still more personal. It's more about, it's kind of what, like, SPR was saying about the prestige, how it's more about the rivalry between the characters. Mm -hmm. It's more about Bruce proving to Ra's al Ghul that he's right rather than it is about the fate of the city. It's more about bruce proving to the joker that the joker's wrong rather than it is about the fate of the city even though and what's so great about the dark knight is that the joker is right mm -hmm. the joker does win in the end but this third film doesn't deal with any of that it's like how do we raise the stakes oh we don't have heath so we can't so yeah oh it's the end of the world the whole city's gonna blow up uh, i don't know it's the idea of a city being under martial law via a terrorist for three six months whatever it is Mm -hmm. And the government does nothing. I don't know. It's just very far-fetched to me. It happens yeah. very quickly. It happens in the middle of the movie. And then you have 45 minutes where it's just like six months have passed. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it just it feels very, very sloppy to me. And it's just like, okay, we need to finish this trilogy. Three yeah. things. Yeah, go ahead. One we didn't discuss during uh, Dark Knight Rises. I'm not wearing hockey pants. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Two, with regards to the bomb... Um, it still gets dumped in the Gotham City Harbor, so, like, nuclear fallout and people growing terrible, you know, deformities and stuff, mm -hmm. and, you know, dying from drinking the water that is now contaminated with, with a nuclear bomb. And the last one, what, what? One sec, keep going. SPR, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. Yes, yes, we, we will come back. We will definitely come back to that. Um, the last point is something that we briefly touched on in The Dark Knight, which is supposed to be the crux of this movie, I thought, but I think there may have been some studio meddling that kind of ruined that. And that's the whole idea of Batman as a symbol and Bruce Wayne, the person, not mattering as much. And Bruce Wayne coming to terms with the fact that he himself has become a symbol that can that can do more than he, as a standalone person, ever could do on his own. And that's supposed to be what The Dark Knight Rises is about, where you kill off the Bruce Wayne character, which would be a totally ballsy move, and you have jo Jason Joseph Lovett's character step into the role of Batman, because it doesn't matter who the person in the suit is, all that matters is that the suit is there, the suit is living, and the suit 
stands for what we need it to stand for. And the fact that Christopher Nolan didn't do that, I thought was really fucked up. Although I will cut him some slack because I think that was the studio not wanting to kill off the, the Bruce Wayne character. Because that would be a really fucking ballsy move, but it would have made the movie a whole lot better. They wanted to make the studio. He, Nolan didn't agree. You're absolutely right. Nolan didn't want to make any more. The studio mm-hmm. kept offering him money to make more, make a fourth one. And he mm-hmm. was like, no, 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 no. we're done. We're, we're done. So you're absolutely right. There mm-hmm. was 100% studio meddling involved for sure. For sure. Um, yes, SJR, absolutely. The studio definitely gobsmacked the movie. I think it's, it's very clear. Because of uh, how popular The Dark Knight was, they were like, oh, shit. This is a money machine, baby. Yeah, we, we got to keep making these. We can't People stop. People don't want to see Bruce Wayne die. Yeah, they do. Because that's a good movie. Great story. And people want to see good movies. People Great don't want to see shit. It complete, which is what we got. It's like you were saying. It completely undermines the whole point of the sacrifice of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that he dies. No, because Batman lives. Right. Exactly. I'm not on a fucking me! Batman lives for the city of Gotham, in the city of Gotham, and it's Jason Joseph Lovett, and his name is not Robin. Fuck you, Warner oh Brothers. Oh my god. That is... Okay, so, <laughs> great. That, that we got a couple, us, we got a that, couple yeah, things. To, that to, brings us to the two worst scenes in the movie. Yeah. One of them has already been talked about in chat by Three Cats in a Trench Coat. <laughs> um, he says, worst death Crazy scene... Crazy that those cats can type. Yeah, incredible. Very well, there's three of them, so, yeah. you know. Right, you, you take that yeah, corner, right. I'll take this. Yeah. I got the, the G's, middle. T's, and F's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, Marion Cotillard's death in this movie is abysmal. Oh, shit, we're at 40. It's, it's... Get close to nip. Oh, shit, dude. Well, we'll see if we got there. We still got, we got time. We, we got, got time. time. We'll see. We uh, three we, movies. We left. originally pitched this as being a two-hour stream. We still have three movies to talk about after this, so we're not we're, done. Yeah. We're just going to keep going until we're going. finished, yeah. so don't worry. Um, hopefully, fun. we are at 40. Hope um, you stick with us. Yes, bear with us. We're getting there. We're nearing the finish line. Um, Marion Cotillard's death scene. I'm gonna re- I'm gonna I'm gonna reenact it. I'm gonna mm-hmm. reenact it right here. She's she's in the fucking. It's shot sideways. She's in the cab of the truck that just hit the ground. And like we're assuming that like her neck is broken or her, like her body's broken because the truck just went face down. And she's like telling Gordon and Catwoman and Batman that uh, the bomb. It's, it's, it, there's no way to stop the bomb. So she goes, "My father's work will always be done. I've done it." And then she goes. That's what happens. I'm going to do it again. That is what happens. That is the fucking take in the movie. That is the take they chose. It's terrible. It is actually the worst death scene in cinema. I'm not kidding. And Marion Cotillard, <laughs> Cotillard is an amazing actress. But here's the thing that people don't know. To get these amazing performances, you have to do a lot of shitty takes. A lot of shitty takes happen. They just settled. And I imagine Marion was, was fairly pissed. Props. Uh, with that being her last time on screen in the film. Props. Um, the second scene that is abysmal mm-hmm. is what you mentioned, the Robin scene. Oh my god. Where Johnny Joseph Levitz... I audibly groaned in the theater. He goes to take the bag that Christian Bales left him in his will, and the woman at the front desk is just like, Oh, sorry, I need your legal name. And he's just like, Oh, okay, well, it's in the computer. He's just like, I like your legal name. You should go by it. That's nice. Robin. <laughs> fucking, I, I want to slam my head through the fucking television, dude. I want to slam it through the fucking screen. I want the glass of the screen to penetrate my eyes and impale my brain so I can forget that this was ever fucking written. Are you, or filmed. Are you fucking kidding me? This yeah. was a real thing that they did. Studios, man studios why can't he just be john blake it's so much better if he's john blake thanks uh thank you nick nick how you doing thank you i thank appreciate you. that hell uh yeah. hell yeah baby that's that's Let's four go. years back here oh here we go what this is a wall of text <laughs> i'm not reading this that. is a wall of text oh i see okay yeah, sjr you got it you got it, Some, reading it. yeah i'm gonna read it sometimes read it. there are failures when you see this on screen you're thinking why why do they keep that take cotillard said translated from french it was tough to be identified just with this scene. When I'm doing the best I can to find the authenticity in every character that I'm playing, it's tough to be known just for this scene. Well, Marion. Act better. Act better and blame Christopher. Blame the editor. Yeah. Do a better take. Fuck's sake. 
Anyways, that's The Dark Knight Rises. I feel like we should probably move on. I think we should. I think we can move on. We should move on. Where is it on on your list before we move on? It is second to last. Wow. It's number nine on okay. my out of ten list. And I want to clarify. I don't think it's garbage. I think there is some stuff in it to like. Okay. But I think it is one of his weaker films. Okay. That's what you got. It for me is number nine out of ten. There you go. The only reason it's not the 10th movie is because I haven't seen Insomnia. So, because of that, Insomnia has to be last. But, in terms of everything that I have seen, this is miles, miles worse than everything else that I've seen from Christopher Nolan. I despise this movie. I absolutely despise it. And if you want to hear us talk more about it, we have our our Christopher Nolan Batman episode. We also did a very special episode of uh, the disc dump with our good friend Miles about The Dark Knight. So, if you want to Listen to uh, listen to us talk more about this movie. You can you can check out his show. It's a nice little plug for Miles. There you go, Miles. If you're if you're watching, we got you, baby. Go off, King. Much love. Next movie. We're done with the Batman trilogy. Yes, I think this final three is where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. This is where things get a little bit spicy. We are now moving on to Nolan's space epic. Yes. Interstellar. Yeah. Starring Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, and Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she's back. She's baby. back, baby. It is a film in the takes place in the future. Mm-hmm. It is about the human race. They've destroyed the planet. We have no resources left. The planet's dying. We can't live here anymore. We've discovered a wormhole at the edge of our solar system, and we feel that we can find a new inhabitable planet... By going through the wormhole and then reporting the information back. I see SJR saying it's his number one. He's going to be very disappointed where he finds out where it falls on my list. Wow. Interstellar (laughs) is a very good Mm -hmm. movie. This is is me. I'm not speaking for both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is you. I think Interstellar is a very good movie. Mm -hmm. I think that this film is the pinnacle of third act flops. Oh. That Nolan has made. Wow. I think this movie has some amazing scenes. It has maybe my second favorite scene he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Behind, hallway, behind yeah. the Hallway. Right, okay. exactly. Behind the behind Hallway. Behind the Hallway sounds like a sick album title. Behind the Hallway. That's pretty yeah, good. That's pretty good. That'd be pretty a good like, rock album. Pretty yeah. sick of you, beast. <laughs> the scene... This, As far as I'm concerned, this is what the whole movie's about. The into, so the movie's about like time and relativity and how you're doing something somewhere and how mm-hmm. it relates to time passing in other spaces in the universe. So the film's all about relativity, and it's all about how things... Both time relativity and just like the relativity of our significance within the cosmos and the universe, if you will. And what it means to be human and how our connections with other people sort of pierce through Mm -hmm. those barriers of relativity and gravity and time. This, before you continue, yes. I just want to throw out there, this is probably Nolan's most emotional movie. It's his mm-hmm. most human movie. I agree. And it still falls short in that department, but more so than his other movies, it's it's very much so about human emotions and human connections and relationships and, and all that good stuff. Right. Just continue. My second favorite scene he's ever shot is the scene, I, anyone who's ever seen this, you know what I'm talking about, where Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway return from the water planet. They get, they get hit by a tidal wave, and because they're hit by a tidal wave, they're stuck on the planet for a bit. Mm-hmm. The way, for a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. For, their, for them, it's a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And the way relativity and gravity works is that, due to the nature of gravity, and the way physics works, and the way relativity works, minutes for them is hours for others, is years for others. They finally return to their ship. 23 years have passed. On Earth. On Earth. Earth. 23 years have passed, which was merely minutes for them on this planet. <laughs> and thank you, Esther. <laughs> yes, yes. My, 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 yes. Professor, Ro- <laughs> Professor Rocco in, in, in the Who's. And Dr. Dr. Stone. Let's go. And they get back. Don't and let him get rich. Don't let me get rich, Ken. <laughs> And Matthew McConaughey immediately goes to the console. 
And he's like, I need to see 23 fucking years have passed. He's like, I need to see messages from my children, messages I've received. And it's a scene of him sitting there and within the span of minutes, experiencing the growth of his children into full grown men and women and what that means to him. And so we see this man in real time react to watching his children grow up. That scene, that scene is, is the movie. That scene is the, the whole fucking movie. As far as I'm concerned, that scene carries the film. The film is as good as it is because of that scene. Amazing performance in that scene by McConaughey. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the whole film is about. It's about what it means to experience something out of time. You know? And how that relates... Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, Nice to see what you think. Thank you. How that relates to you. I will say the emotional weight of that scene, some of it is taken away just by the absurdity of Timothy Chalamet growing up to be Casey Affleck. That's just funny. <laughs> Whoever was in charge of casting. Timmy Chalamet? <laughs> Timmy! Okay, so his son will be played by Timothy Chalamet. And then who should play the older version of Timothy? How about Ben Affleck's younger brother? Book him! Oh, book him. Book him, baby! Um, while we're on that topic of casting, I feel like this movie might have the most absurd Christopher Nolan cast. It's a great cast, but it is so weird. It is so weird. Matthew McConaughey, usually great, kind of a one-note actor. He can only play a dude from Texas. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Anne Hathaway. Don't let me go, Marv. <laughs> That's the thing I love about these space planets. They get older, I stay at the same age. <laughs> Anne Hathaway's dad, who I believe is Michael Caine, for some mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered why Michael Caine plays the father of American characters in his movies. Like, he's Cobb's dad, then he's Anne Hathaway's dad, and then That's right. you know, later he's someone else's dad or something. <laughs> Um, I, don't, I don't know why that happens. Um, you got Michael Caine, Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, Timothy Chalamet, Jessica Chastain. Like, all good actors, but mm -hmm. never people who you would think, yeah, let's put them all into the same movie. Uh, Casey Affleck, and then Casey... Topher Grace! Topher, Topher Grace is in this Eric fucking Foreman. Why is, is For movie. why is Foreman in this movie? And the cherry on top, Casey Affleck's good friend, Matt Damon... The Matt Damon surprise. Yeah, that's very humorous, SJR. Yeah. Fucking see ya! See ya who? See ya, SJR. He was, oh, yeah. he was ready to refute our claim. About what? About Matthew McConaughey always playing someone from Texas. He goes, I was going to dunk on you and say he's not from Texas and true detective and Googled it and said ellipses. South, South Texas. Texas! Yeah. Yep. He lives in Louisiana, but he's from South Texas. Uh, nice try, though. But cast is great. The Another phenomenal concept Something that we haven't really talked about, which we need to talk about more when thinking of Christopher Nolan, is the whole idea of temporal temporal um, perception and mm. how we perceive time. And his movies, I think, are really interesting in that he's not necessarily interested in the concept of time travel, which is something that we see a lot in movies. He more so wants to understand how we as people perceive and understand and relate to time and how different people understand and experience time in different ways. And this movie is the most human version of that story, of how our different experiences with time, whether it be, you know, when it's someone who experiences five minutes, but that those five minutes for you are 20 years for someone else, and what that means for us emotionally and for our relationships with other people, and for just our, our understanding of like what it means to be a human being. Because so much of like being a person is, you know, there's there are few there are few very few constants in life. And one of the constants that we can all agree on is there are sixty seconds in a minute, there are sixty minutes in an hour. There are twenty four hours in a day. That's how time works. We all get that. But Christopher Nolan, his movies, like the thesis is kind of, well, what if that's not true? What if 60 seconds for you is not 60 seconds for another person. And what does that mean? Like, what do we get from that? How, how does that affect who we are as people? 
And this is, this is, I think, one of his more mature and interesting dives into that. I think it's, I think it's a very, very, very solid movie. Very, very well said. Thanks, man. The chat agrees. Yeah. SJR says unironically. We're just a couple of doctors. Uh, that's a up. great, great take summary. Great recap. I agree. Uh, Eric, you're right. We're at 14. We're actually at 44 now. We're six oh, away. Oh. We're six Eric away. Eric doesn't care about what we're saying. No, he he's just watching the numbers. He's like, Dr. Raff, let's yeah. go. He's making, Eric, he writes making fake accounts left and right. He's like, I just yeah. want to see some nipple. Man. Oh, shit. We're at 45. We're getting oh, close. Dude, nipple um, time. That was very, very, very well said. Thanks, man. Thank you. Very well said. Um, I, I agree. And what you said early on, I think it encapsulates this film in terms of his filmography in general in the best way possible is that it really is a film about uh, human nature and human connection. It's the mm -hmm. most, it's, it's a film that's the most interested in humanity. Yeah. Um, because that 100%. is, that's, that's what, it's all that's about saving, saving humanity. Yeah. Really. Um, but back to my point about it being, um, sort of his pinnacle of third act flops. Mm -hmm. I like the movie a lot. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. Um, but man, oh man, when Maddie McConskey's <laughs> Goes through the, the, the black hole mm -hmm. and ends up in a little mechanical box, a little tesseract, and he's playing the, the strings of the tesseract to change the clock on Murph's watch. I was just, I was, I was out. I, was, I mean, wasn't I was that out the most that obvious, um, I mean, it's not a twist, wasn't that the most obvious reveal from the beginning of the movie when, uh, when, when she's in the room, when young Murph is in the room and she's, like, the books are falling and she says there's mm -hmm. a ghost in there. It's like, well, yeah, your dad's going to go to space and he's going to be the ghost because he's he's in time. It's, you know, he's within time, which is a fucking wild concept that just fucked me up. <laughs> Imagine being inside of time. Well, it's, <laughs> Imagine I mean, walking into a room and the room is time. Yeah, I mean, it's just so ridiculous because we're given, we're given this exposition via McConaughey. He's talking to a robot and he says, no, we... We made this. We made this, Tars. This is us. This is us from the future. Thousands of years in the future. This is us, Tars. This is. <laughs> this is my thanks, thanks. All right, all right, all right. This is. I got. I got to tell Murph. You know, I saw him at a Wolfpack show once. Tell us about. I want to hear about this. Uh, tell me about this. Yeah, story. I was at a. I was at a music festival with some buddies. Uh, first day, first act. In in Austin, Texas, ACL. If anyone's been there, good time. Really good time. Um, we're boozing and, you know, doing the festival thing. We're dancing around. And we're right by the VIP section. Not in VIP. Not that cool. Um, and I turn around. And someone's like, yo, Matthew McConaughey's right there. We're like, what? No fucking way. Matthew McConaughey. So we turn around. And we're like, yo, Matt, I fucking love you, bro. One of our friends takes a selfie with him. And I was like, yo, dude, my boy loves you. Like, I, we got to send him a selfie. And he just goes, nah. <laughs> So yeah, Matt and I are old buds. You and McConskys, dude. Yeah, we're boys. We're pretty, boys. pretty sick. Go way back, Matt. If you're on, love you, bro. Thanks for tuning in, Matt. Long time no see. Hit me up. Let's get ice cream sometime. So, that that's Interstellar. I think it's a very solid movie. I think that it's horribly tarnished by that third act. Yeah, love is the fifth dimension. <sighs> No bueno. Head through TV screen again. Yeah. Sorry. Not, not crazy about it. Otherwise, otherwise a pretty good movie. Very solid. Very interesting. Number, Probably his most interesting. Number seven. Wow, that low. Number seven. I wasn't expecting that. It's right behind Insomnia. These are still good. I, it's yeah. still, I, like I said, I only think Nolan's really made one or two poor movies. I think everything else at worst is good. I know. It's, <laughs> um, number three on my list. Number three. That's that. Okay, so it is. That's, we're we're reaching big. Uh, we're reaching. Yeah. Big difference. And I now. think. Yeah, we're we're okay. gonna get into to differences time. Okay. Um, so that was his space epic, Interstellar. Yeah. Good movie. That, I'll mm. give you that. Good movie. Give me that. Okay. Okay. We're down to the last two. Yep. And I know for a fact that these are the two biggest contention points. And it's convenient that chronologically they, they came out the most recent. It's like we planned that or wow. something. Oh my god, look at us. Three Cats in a Trench Coat wants to know if the third act was studio interference. Yes, the producers at whatever the fuck. It's probably Warner. Were just like, 
Uh, you know, uh, we gotta put Matt in a tesseract. <laughs> what if love is the fifth dimension? Uh, Anne Hathaway's got a connection with her dead space husband, and she's gonna be right, because she's gonna drop down on his planet, and it just so happens that he picked the right planet, and she was drawn to him because of love, and because of love, the human race survives. Thank you, Warner Brothers. Pretty fucking sick of you. Gotta go walk the pup. Well, take us on your phone, bro. You can watch. You can watch on your phone. Is that a euphemism? You're walking the dog. You got showers and yeah. dog walks. Yeah, Whatever. Let's get into these last two okay. movies. This might push us to three hours. It is. We're get, yeah. Okay. So Dunkirk. Dunkirk. We I'm got just... to get back to Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Um. I'll be useful, sir. This movie. I'm just going to say, right off the bat, is bottom of my list. This is number 10 on my list. <laughs> Dunkirk is, as far as I'm concerned, the worst movie that Christopher Nolan has ever made. You have no characters. You have a boring fucking plot. You have not much going on. For a war movie, there's no exciting war scenes. The most interesting actor you have in the movie is Tom fucking Hardy. And once again, you put him in a face mask. He is no, and he's a pilot. He has no interesting fucking cool dogfight scenes. Uh, there's like, I, there was so little for me to enjoy about this movie. The whole gimmick of the film is that you have three different scenarios. One taking place over the course of a week. One taking place over the course of a day, one taking place over the course of an hour, and how they're all intercut and interact within each other at the same time, presented to us editing-wise, within the span of an hour and 50 minutes. And he does nothing interesting with this time concept. I can't, I can't remember anything about this film that I thought was interesting to me. I can't remember anything about this film that I thought... Oh, I see. SJR had, a, had to... <laughs> He's like, I gotta walk my dog, but first I gotta tell this clown that he's wrong. Um, I, SJR, I'm not a German lover. <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be fucking clear. I really did. I'm so, I'm so sorry to say, and it upsets me because I know a lot of people like this movie. Compared to what Nolan's done before, I thought this was just such a fucking bore fest. I sat there and I watched it. I could not wait for it to end. I couldn't wait for it to be over. Ref. It's number one on my list. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's number one on my list. It's um, right kind of in the same vein as Interstellar. This is a movie that is mostly interested in how people perceive time. And it's done... And it's presented to us in a much more grounded way, a much more real-life, tangible way than Interstellar is. I know that the movie kind of hinges on a gimmick, and if you're not in on the gimmick, then it's not going to be enjoyable. But for me, as someone who is very, very, very interested in temporal perceptions, and how we... <laughs> and how we, as people, understand time, I loved this gimmick. I loved that this movie is presented to us in three separate stories that take place over three separate periods of time and that they are cut in a way that is kind of like, I don't know if it's a perfect ratio, but the way that it's presented to us, we get a chunk of a week and then we get a smaller, or we get a, is it a week or a, a chunk of a week, a smaller chunk of the day and an even smaller chunk of the hour. And all of these people are moving and angling towards the same thing and the same climax. And it's kind of like Memento in that, where you're telling a few different stories that are, that are uh, temporally different, They're, right? The, time, the timeline and the timing is different in them, but they all converge into this one final act and climax. And I think, like, lack of characters aside, lack of uh, plot aside, I think that's really interesting, and I think the fact that there are no interesting characters or, like, a concrete plot is to highlight and, like, make sure that time is the star of this movie, which it is. Time is the star. Harry Styles is not the star. Tom Hardy is not the star. Time 
is the star of this film. And as someone who is very interested in time and watching movies that are about time, I fucking love this. Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, all right. Where to begin? Yeah, what's thank, your, thank you for that. What you got? Way. What you got? Um, this is, this is also one of the first times that we've talked about a movie that we have very different opinions on. We're usually pretty in line with, with our movie taste and what we like and dislike. Yes, this is easily... I think this is way worse than the last one we're going to come to. Yeah, this is 100% of, way worse. In terms of disparity. Yeah. For sure. Um, somebody, uh, a, a, a dear compatriot of ours just walked in. That's yeah. why we're waiting. Hello. Our production, our production um, hello. team is here. Um, okay. 